0: Welcome to Becoming Referrable, the podcast that helps you become the kind of advisor people can't help talking about. I'm Julie Littlechild, and today, Steve and I are thrilled to be speaking with Carl Richards. Now, this feels like one of those this man needs no introduction moments, but it only seems right to provide one. Carl is a certified financial planner and the creator of the Sketch Guy column that has appeared weekly in the New York Times since 2010. I happen to believe that a big part of Carl's success is his uncanny ability to make complex financial concepts easy to understand. You see that in his presentations and in his two books, The One-Page Financial Plan, A Simple Way to Be Smart About Your Money, and The Behavior Gap, Simple Ways to Stop Doing Dumb Things with Money. And you'll hear that ability in our conversation today, which focuses on the concept of real financial planning and helps, I think, to redefine your role as a financial advisor. We tackle how to have deeper conversations and when to exercise caution. We discuss the idea that certainty is a myth and that your primary role is to guide clients to the next best step in their journey, I really believe that you'll walk away from this episode with not only new insights, but a sense of relief and confidence. And with that, let's jump Mm -hmm. straight into our conversation with Carl. So, Carl, welcome to the show. So happy to have you here.
1: Yeah, welcome, Carl. Thank you, uh, Julie and Steve. It's super fun to be here.
0: So people know you for all sorts of reasons. You've been out there talking in the industry for a long time, but I know I really wanted to understand more about the work you've been doing around real financial planning, right? This 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 concept of real financial planning. and uh, And there's some interesting stuff out there with you talking about what that even means and what you're supposed to call it. So why don't we just start there? How would you actually describe this idea of real financial planning? And then we can get into some of the detail.
1: Yeah, I, I'd love to. But, you know, I, first, I'd love to know, um, Julie, how would you describe real financial planning?
0: <laughs> yeah, but I've had the benefit <laughs> of listening to you talk. About you see. Well, you know, I, here's what I can tell you. And, and this is... In fairness, in the context of having heard you talk about it, because oh. I, I might have I might have used some different terminology. But what, as you talked about it, what came to me was what is lacking in, in the way most people describe financial planning, and yeah. in particular around the hmm. the the essence of planning needing to start with where people are trying to get, and this idea of goal setting. And I've always felt that that was an incredibly difficult thing for some people to do. Like the, the whole idea of having goals was provocative or difficult or they grew up not setting goals and it felt wrong. And you actually addressed that. And so I, I began to think more and more about the notion of financial planning as starting with what you call purpose. And I thought it was mm. just a fascinating way mm. to talk about this. It made sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, it's been a fun journey. Thanks for that. I was curious how you would approach it. Because here's the reason I asked that question is because this started in a, um, it was at, um, what did we used to call that? FPA retreat. FPA retreat. And I was on a panel with uh, Michael Kitsis and Tim Maurer. And I was taught, I was sort of bemoaning this kind of juxtaposition that I was seeing at the time between the work that I hope I was doing, but certainly I was seeing my colleagues do and what was being talked about in the press, right? And, and, and this huge gulf between, it was sort of mini Madoff and all of that stuff going on. And, and then I was seeing my colleagues save people's lives is what it felt like to me. And, and, and I would describe that to journalist friends and I remember a specific conversation with somebody at the time, New York Times, where I was like, no, 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 there's real. And it literally looked at me like the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. like it was a, <laughs> like it was a fairy tale. like that's a cute story, Carl. And I was like, no there's, there's real. And so that's when at that conference, at Retreat, I said, it's like there's a secret society of real financial planners. That's where I first said it. And then you know how at retreat they used to do these like self-forming meetings, right? There was time for under the trees. Under the trees, yeah.
2: Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) And
1: there was I looked at the agenda later in the day, and there was an agenda that said, what like it said, real financial planning, what is it? And I went and there were all these luminaries, like the you know, grandfathers and grandmothers of financial planning, were around this table, and we were all looking at each other saying, What does that mean? And that was a fascinating thing to me to be like in the industry with the people, saying what does it mean. And so I, I think if we have a hard time, mm. the people I'm pointing out the window, oh, yeah. like the, people, yeah, the yeah. people out there have no clue, right? And it becomes a little bit like the Supreme Court's definition of pornography, right? Like I, <laughs> I, I couldn't describe it, but I know you it when, know it see when it. you see it, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> right? And well, so it leaves that's that's kind of where I'm coming from from this is like we've got to get better language around it first we got to pull a i mean there's already probably most of the people who are listening to this engage in the practice that I think of as real planning right like but the people who are listening to this are very very small percentage right of the whole industry so first we got to pull a bunch of the industry this direction and then second we have to figure out how to talk about it
2: yeah, yeah i think that's such a it's such a great point carl cuz I want to, I want to just really highlight something that you said that, you know, if we can't explain it, then how is the public ever going to hope to understand it. And, you know, we, we, Julie and I see that, you know, all across the, you know, across the whole spectrum we talk a lot about it in terms of value proposition, you know, if you can't explain what your value is, how will, how will you attract people to, who are interested in it, but I think you're totally right that, that, you um, you know, And unfortunately, what a lot of it ends up coming down to is investments, because that's the, the one thing that everybody talks about that everybody can understand, right? And so it, I think there's a huge need for talking about what's the value here? What's really, because it's not investment management. So how do we talk about yeah. what this thing is? And so, so what were some of the conclusions from that under the tree conversation? Well, I, don't, we I don't
1: know. I mean, like I was listening. And then somebody said, well, Carl, you're the one that said it. So, and I was like, I don't, I I don't know. I, I mean, my early, my early definition was be somebody I would send my mom to. Right. That was my early definition and, and part, and then what happened, and I want to get back to what you said, but let me just finish that thought real quick. Like Ron Lieber and I talked about writing a column, maybe once a year, we had this conversation where we were like, let's write a column." about how to hire a planner and Ron actually did it. And he used the column to hire his planner. So he said, I'm going to go hire, and I'm going to use the column to hire it. And and then I can't remember how long ago, how long later it was, I think it was like 18 months later. um, He got a letter from the regulatory body saying his planner was stealing money from little ladies. (laughs) And so every time we went to write that column, we had a similar experience. It was like, okay, let's use this checklist and go check the reality. And we go out there and we'd find somebody who was a, you know, an, you know whatever member or whatever, or whatever, a fiduciary, a fee only, a, like all the things. And they were on the front page of their local paper for stealing money. So we're like, it's really hard to write a checklist that out of the bottom falls trust. And, and so I started talking about a different approach. I was like, no, what if you had these, like, go ask the person you're thinking about hiring, ask them, these questions right see what the response the answer is going to matter but how it's answered is also going to matter in it and sure charlatans know that too right like they know how to trick people with their answers but at least we start to get a kind of a a, a sense of it and i i think too this idea of investments i just want to talk about that real quickly because i'm clear that almost no one walks into a financial plan and see, it's really funny. I, even when I say planner, I'm like, should I be saying advisor? Should I be saying plan? Like, we don't even know. So I'm trying to reclaim the word planner just for fun, but nobody walks into a financial planners office and set says like, I want to cry on your couch. Or would you help me clarify my goals? No one says that they come in and say, I got generally, I've got an acute problem. The acute problem typically is investments. And so I think that we just have to get better at, and I'm going to use this word very carefully. I'm going to define it, but I think we have to get better at playing righteous tricks. And and I don't mean bait and switch. Very, very careful distinction here. A righteous trick is in service of the client. And so a righteous trick would be something like greeting them where they are. Oh, investments. You know what? Those are really important to me too. And in fact, performance is really important part of a plan. And then subtly shifting what they, you know, greeting them with what they want and slowly teaching them what they need. And that that can be a punch in the nose or it can be an empathetic hug. And that's knowing the difference between those is where the art of planning comes in. But it's clear that if you engage every client, you win based on performance. I can promise you, you will lose based on performance. So you're not going to be helping yourself or them by doing that. So we have to figure out. And then we're also not helping by saying, no, no, sorry, we don't talk about investments here. You're supposed to cry on the couch. Because <laughs> They don't even know what to call that, right? They don't even, they've never experienced. It. It's like the Supreme Court's definition back to that, right? They don't even know it exists to have somebody ask them meaningful questions to uncover a sense of purpose, get a little bit more clarity about these things called goals that they didn't even know they had, and they walk out to the car thinking, oh, my gosh, I feel diagnosed for the first time in my life. Right? That's a, they don't know what to ask for when they walk in. So instead, they say, here's this portfolio.
2: Yeah. Is <clears> that... and... Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I, I'm thinking we should probably come up with, with a different term for that that doesn't have the word trick in it. But I, I get totally what you're <laughs> I saying.
1: Love um... I love that term, though. That's part of the problem. Yeah, yeah, I consider yeah. I'm yeah, a righteous yeah. trickster. <laughs> right? So but I I hear what you're saying.
2: But the yeah, but the um yeah, and 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 I, I and I really love working it around toward toward purpose and those things cuz even even the whole idea of goals I think is misapplied by a lot of advisors that you know it, I, and I've I've been working on a project where you know I I just rail against you know, advisors who have a 35 year old come into the office and, and, and get a question like, you know, what do you envision for your retirement? What's the, what's the purpose in that
1: question? You know, I, I. Yeah. And even, even crazier is an intake form in the lobby that says, what are your goals? Yeah, 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 exactly. So can you
0: talk us through that, Carl? Like if, if knowing that's not the path, I mean, how do you define this, you know, alternative process?
1: Yeah, yeah. To me, I think we have to show them what it means to have a goal, right? So it's like show, don't ask. And the way that works for me, and I, we just did this interestingly with, you know, sort of one of the people in the industry kind of cross-armed, like my clients don't engage in this soft, touchy-feely stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, then let's have a conversation. And he was telling me about it. He had an electrician that couldn't raise his arms over his over, and by the way, I, if this advisor recognizes the story, like I think the world of this advisor, right? Like it was just that that we don't even have common language to discuss what we're talking about. We don't even know what it means to say goals. So right electrician can't raise his hand, you know, can't raise his arms over his head anymore because he's that worn out. Like, and he's like, his only goal is security. I'm like, well, that's really fascinating. Like, what did he ever say that to you? I'm like, no, how do you know that? Well, because I can tell, I'm like, Wouldn't it have been fascinating if he had said that? Like, wouldn't it have been fascinating if you had whatever that meant? Like, I don't want to be burdened to the kids is what he may have said, written down. So what I think the way you do that in my mind, and I look, I'm often wrong, but never in doubt. So I'm totally okay if like, I reserve the right to be completely wrong about everything I'm saying. It just makes you a guy. But this 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 is like a very strong opinion I have that I'm trying to forcibly insert in the industry that, you know, we greet them where they are investments investments performance insurance i sold my business whatever and then we slowly say those are that's very important you know and before we get into that would you mind if we back up a little bit and get a sense of 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 why this might be important to you and then you can insert any one of the great questions that we have from people like george kinder if you can go that far which i'm a huge fan of and it's but it's hard work for some people to go that far you can you know bill baccarat's work and john bowen who used it later and then um even all the way to Dan Sullivan, the strategic coach who has that great question that's just, you know, could, could we back up a minute? If, if we were meeting three years from today on, uh, you know, May 17th, 2024, and let's pretend like you're happy with this relationship, what would have happened in your life financially for you to be happy? Like that's the Dan Sullivan question. He's written a book called The Dan Sullivan Question. Super simple, right? that conversation so somebody would say something like dude i'm just really tired i can't work anymore i can't even i can't i can't lift my arms above my head like okay really tired i can't work anymore well see now and and i can give you mine like mine if i got asked that question i would say like i really want to spend more time with my family mainly outside and i'd really like to serve in my community and my church okay that we can now say oh i understand you're really tired you don't want to work anymore what if, John, what if we put some framework around that? Like what would have to happen financially for you in order for you to make that happen? And if we put a little framework around that, could we then call it a goal, right? So I think teaching them what it means, you just clarified a goal, they had no clue. They're just like, I don't wanna work. And I say, more time with my family. But my planner has said, let's put a little framework around that. What would have to happen financially for you to spend more time with your family? And now we have very specific things and then I can say, and then we'll call that a goal. Like that would have never, ever happened on the intake form in your lobby. Yeah.
0: And, and knowing that that goes on, right? That you're literally seeing people who get the, into, I talked to an advisor uh, recently who was sharing that, you know, they book a meeting and then they send like 12 pages of stuff you need to bring to that first meeting, right? So how, how do you help advisors, uh, step away from that and ask different questions to bring them into the relationship.
1: Well, and Julia, it's a really good, I mean, maybe you don't need to step away from it. Like, like if it's working for you, that's amazing. It I, wasn't and, in this case. Well, and I, well and I, <laughs> used, I used to always be so surprised. We'd send this list, like bring your tax returns, bring yeah, your yeah. thing. People would bring it. And I was always surprised they'd bring it, but I noticed after a couple of rounds of that that it was like in a locked briefcase with a handcuffed, ch- you know, like <laughs> you're not getting this from me in the first meeting. like. Yeah. And so I was like, why am I, uh, I? And so I started thinking, especially after reading some of K-State's work on like what your office should look like. I mean, it, the feedback on, a, on a, the office was like anything you can do to basically lower the stress, right? And I started thinking of that briefcase with the financials mm-hmm. in it as a giant bag of stress. And I was like, we don't really for the first meeting that doesn't really matter if you if you can remember that your 401k has 500,000 or it has 550 like we're going to be okay like like we can guess mm-hmm. and so i just started telling people you know the email that went out a couple of days before the first meeting was it just said look um to make the most of your time mr and mrs client right i know how busy you are to make the most of your time it may be helpful. Like all oh, this language is intentional. Just lower the, pr- it may be helpful if you review your financial situation before you come in, come in, in case it comes up. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and so then I'd let go of all that 12 pages of, and so then when they come in, what I'm trying to, I just them begging people to bleed me and like, uh, can we just, can, I just got an email again last, I get one of these a couple times a week for sure. And last week it was um, around the weekly, the behavior of weekly letter we send out and the weekly letter was around enough. How do you know if you have enough? And I get this reply from a lady who I'll call Sally and Sally's like enough, you know, it was all caps, exclamation marks and a bunch of question marks. She's like, we thought we had it figured out until our daughter got this crazy developmental disease that's going to require surgery after surgery for who knows. And we don't think she'll ever be able to live on her own. So now what is enough? And I replied, I'm only using this story to point this out. I replied with a video and just said, hey, you know, that's, you know, I was human. Like, I can't imagine that must be really hard. And in that context, enough is even harder. Like, how do you do it? And I I gave her just a couple of suggestions on like, think about all that stuff and then get quiet and figure out what the next step is. Focus on what you can control. And we had a little moment together and she sent back a note saying, I can't, (laughs) I can't even watch this all because I've never felt like anybody has ever heard me like that. And I, I can just tell you, everyone is walking around like that. They don't need to have a daughter with a developmental thing. Everyone, nobody has a place. So I'm not, and you don't have to be a soft California woo woo advisor, whatever you, to give the electrician a spot to say, bro, I'm just really tired. So all I'm suggesting is, can we please, before we start chucking prescriptions, or self-diagnosis tools at people, can we give them a chance to be heard? Like, can we just diagnose? If we diagnose correctly, all the other stuff takes care of itself. The prescription could be simple. You don't even read prescriptions. You never Google the medicine, right? Like if you felt thoroughly diagnosed, overcoming objections. I think overcoming objections should simply, if there's an objection, it should literally be a warning light in your head that you just didn't hear something. It's not their fault. Like you should just, oh, I must've missed something. Can we back up? So all I'm saying is the quality of the questions you ask, being thoughtful, listening, giving people time to answer, you know, letting go of your agenda, you know, all those things will create a remarkable experience, even if no one cries, that will, it'll change the way you do the business. And I've, I've seen this, I don't know, thousands of times at this point.
0: Hi, it's Julie here. I hope you're loving this conversation with Carl as much as we did. I just had to jump in and share some news. The team at Absolute Engagement has just launched our Referral Activator Program, the product of years of research into referral behavior. We've distilled those years of research down to the three core strategies that we believe will have the greatest impact on your referral growth. I couldn't be more excited to bring this to life after 13 years of studying why clients refer, when they don't, as well as what's working and what isn't when it comes to referrals. If you have a moment, I'd invite you to visit us at referralactivator.com. You can learn more there and sign up for one of our live demos i'd love to see you there sorry go ahead <laughs> oh go ahead julie no go ahead <laughs>
2: <laughs> we do this well, a lot Carl. welcome to our world <laughs> yeah no um
0: so i mean a couple of things just on on how advisors can have those conversations and this sort of jumped out at me and in, in some of the things that you've been talking about one is just this idea i think you said of entering with caution right that you're you're going deep into some conversations Um, Can you give us some examples of of how advisors can think about that?
1: Yeah. And I really believe like all this takes is just take the hat off and put on your human hat. Like if you can just pause and think about what you're doing, we'll get a lot of this right. I only think really two things, curiosity and humanity. Like that's like almost all you really have to think about. But let me give you an example. My favorite example of this is the um, well. There's 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 two. But let's see if we get to the second one. The the first one is the balance sheet discussion. Yeah. Like you know, you've had a discussion about maybe you've gotten good and you had a discussion about why somebody wants to go somewhere. So you know, go read Simon Sinek's work, check out Bill Backer's work, Dan Sullivan, Dan Sullivan's this the greatest sales book you've ever read is great on this, um, and Dan Sullivan's book, George Kinder's the master, of course, you've got that part. You've rolled into goals. Now it's the second part of the first meeting. You've defined a few goals and then you're like, okay, great. So we know where, we know where you want to go. And we know a little bit about why you want to go there. So we have to back up now to where are you today? That's a classic sort of consulting job. Like, where are you today? Where do you want to go? I'll build a map to get you there. And when we get to where, where are you today? We always sort of just flip this switch where we're like, oh, it's factual. It's called a balance sheet. It's hey And, you're 37 minutes into meeting this person and you're gonna ask them, which I think you, you can earn the right to do this by asking good questions, but you're gonna ask them about their balance sheet. You just gotta pause real quick and remember like what you're doing. And, and it doesn't ch- need to change your tone of voice. It doesn't need to change anything about the questions even, but just realizing like, hey, I'm about to ask and, and a couple things on the balance sheet. We all think that's just a statement of fact right? It should be. It's a set of numbers. It's quantifiable. But we all, you all know that everything on that balance sheet has a story, you know? And often, especially if you're dealing with a couple, there will be shame and blame around these things. And particularly maybe between the couple. Like, I remember one client, or it's actually a, a really close friend of mine, um, sort of my parents' age, she and her husband, anytime money would come up, I would watch her get so upset about this mistake they made it was a costly mistake but it was 20 years ago you know and it served no point and there was all this shame and blame around it and and so just remember that when you enter the balance sheet discussion it's another place where we just have to be like hey um adam schmalo last week told me he loves to just say we're going to leave the past in the past we're going to try and extract any valuable lesson we can but we're going to leave you know we're just moving forward so that's one example of this idea of like entering with caution
2: yeah
1: giving people permission to relax a bit you know understanding the humanity of what you're doing yeah so <clears throat> I'll,
2: I'll mention this to you carl because i don't know if you've seen it but i just finished it and i think you would love it i i loved it it's called time to think have you seen that no nancy klein um it's mm. it's all about how to help facilitate other people working through their thought processes it's anyway it's it's right up this alley you'd probably you'd love it Mm, um but the um so so we come back now to the challenge of i i mean i I think this is i think this is great i think it's spot on i think i think it 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 delivers you know it's it's way it's way more valuable a thing that we can do for people by doing this stuff so we come back to the problem of so how do we describe what we do
1: yeah yeah Yeah, that's so hard. I I remember um, one of the best days of my life professionally was when I was at a barbecue and somebody asked the guy I was talking to, I was talking to a doctor and somebody else came up and joined the conversation and asked the doctor what he did for a living. And the doctor said, I'm a doctor. And I was like, what? 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 He didn't say... I fix people's knees so they can live their best life while walking. The <laughs> he just said, "I'm a I'm a doctor," and I was like, "You're allowed to do that." Like I can just <laughs> say, "I'm a," because f- I was just hammered early on for oh, the yeah. first decade of sure. like, the elevator pitch and the barbecue and e- the cocktail party and yeah. everything had to. And I was like, "Oh, so I can just say so?" Then I was like, "Well, so what would I say?" And I I typically would just say, "I'm a," f- okay. and I also learned on. On flights, if I wanted the person next to me to leave me alone for the whole flight, when they asked what I what I did, all I had to do was say I was a financial planner. And that was like, oh, okay, good. And out came the book, right? <laughs> so, so I learned in those settings, like, what do you do? The only way, I've, I've just had fun with it. I've said, I'm a financial advisor. And then I'll wait for the look. And I'll say, but no, not like that. right and and or i'll say you know what like before i even answer i'll just say you know it's too hard to it's too hard to talk about (laughs) so that that i think having some fun with the elevator pitch of what do we do but if i were really describing it to a friend i would say it would it sounds like an elevator pitch but i was like look we engage in real financial planning which really is this hard work of aligning this is what i think internally aligning people's use of capital and that's asterisk time money energy and attention so aligning people's use of capital with what's truly important to them that to me is what we do
0: well and i i i'm often reminded that sometimes the best way to describe what you do is to give people an experience of it to some extent right by you know a good set of questions that get people thinking they stop asking what you do they're just so drawn into the fact that I've never thought about it that way. One other thing I, I did want to ask you, because I, I can see and I'm sure everybody can see the benefit to the client of this kind of approach, right? It, that it, it is, it, it's, it's deeper and it's, it's much, well, just what you just explained. But I can also see that this kind of approach would be so beneficial for advisors in terms of their own level of confidence. You talk about the difference between being a guide and it felt so free to me, like all of a sudden you have to let go of having to have every answer and having to be certain and having to, you know, all of that. Do you, do you see that kind of impact for advisors as you talk about this?
1: It's a massive, like, I, and, and let's just talk about the guide defender thing for a second, because uh, I think we've largely built. And, and I'm speaking broadly, probably not to this audience, but broadly as an industry, large industry, a profession within the industry. Don't send me any emails about how it's a profession I, I know. So the, but large, like I think largely we've built our value proposition on stuff we can't deliver. And mm-hmm. and so I, I remember I got asked to do a big consulting job for a, a, a bank, and it was the largest bank in the in the country that it was in. And I they had just done like a five. Yeah. I can't remember what that, I'm trying not to say the currency, but $5 million equivalent to $5 million marketing budget to get this new slogan. And I didn't know what it was. And I was coming to work with their financial planning sort of offering. And I walked in and they said, let us show you. And there was these, this poster up on the wall, all over the place there was these posters and the tagline was delivering certainty. And I was like, Oh, uh, I got to change. I got to change everything I'm about to say. So, <clears throat> yeah, right. But I think largely like when we, when we build our, value proposition on delivering performance. And then there's this tricky slide more towards what we do as planners, professionals at this. We don't know we're doing it, but we're kind of trying to deliver certainty. And it's where this false sense of precision comes in and we hear Monte Carlo's with three decimal places or whatever. And, and so we get this, and what we're doing is trying to draw the perfect line right? A 30-year line, as you mentioned earlier, Steve. So a 30-year line. And and the only thing we know for sure about that line is that it's wrong. And so back to the benefit of what you're asking, Julie, is like, what happens if you have placed your professional value and the relationships on that line being right? And the only thing we know for sure is that it's going to be wrong. Then you're in this weird spot where you have to feel like you're a defender of an incorrect line. I like to call it a defender of an outdated map. And so the client walks in and they say like when the plan blows up, which it does to the positive and the negative side, but back in March and April of last year, the plan blows up, the clients show up and you feel, you feel not only defensive, and that's where the 10 best days stock chart comes from. Haven't you seen the 10 best day is us just spraying people with facts and figures not only are we defensive, but we often can feel like the ones that are listening to this, I was sure can res- this resonates with. You could even feel a little guilty or a little bit um, responsible that you did something wrong. And then you've got to realize like, wait, if we change our mindset from defender of that map to a guide in a changing landscape, a guide still, no matter how good you are as a, as a guide, you still draw a route. And you make it and you still take a map and you make it the best one you can. And then you realize when you get out there, what what did Mike Tyson say that um, plans are great until somebody punches you in the face? (laughs) Like once you get out there and I can't remember the famous general that said all, you know, no battle plan survives, survives first contact with the enemy. So when you get out there, you can realize, Hey, I didn't realize the storm was going to blow in. If the client comes and gets mad at you for the storm blowing. And that would be silly. They probably will because they need, they're need they scared. But you can take the approach instead of saying, I checked the forecast and on Thursdays in June, it never rains. Like, instead of saying that, you can say, yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't think this was going to come either. I mean, we, we expected, you know, you get weather in the mountains, but we didn't know today was going to be the day. And guess what? And you can reach across the table and grab them by the collar, look them in the eyes and say, I've got you. These tools in my backpack don't have anything to do with maps. They have to do with how to deal with changing landscapes. So then your value becomes the course corrections, right? Your value becomes the ability to navigate uncertainty. In other words, your value becomes reality, not some myth that we've all been portraying. So I think it changes everything. Like it may be the same tools, It, it may be the same software, but it changes everything about how you feel and how you communicate about your job,
2: right? Like, um, and I, I I think I'm sorry, Carl. I no, no, I, I I think it I think it sort of gets into you you quoted, I think it was Patton who said, you know, no plan survives the contact with the enemy. And it gets more toward Eisenhower's quote of, you know, plans are useless. Planning
1: is invaluable. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. For sure. No, I I yeah, I, I think that and you know, look, we have can make all sorts of comparisons, like like pilots. I've been asking commercial airline pilots, everyone I've ever met you know, do you draw a detailed flight? Do you write up a detailed flight plan for every plan and they, or every flight? And they say, yes. And then I always ask them, how often does the flight go according to plan? And they always say never. Yeah. And so we've got to get that tension. The one thing I got wrong is I was so hyper-focused on the on the changing landscape because I love that navigation that I, I was often, I was I was belittling or devaluing the plan. And what I realized just in the last like six weeks really was, that actually what I'm asking you to do, what we really need to do is hold the tension that they're, that a plan is incredibly valuable and it's gonna be wrong, right? That, that we've gotta write goals and their guesses, right? That we have to have strong opinions and then we have to go look for disconfirming evidence, right? Like hold, we've gotta be able to hold those both those tension. Performance is the last thing you wanna talk about and it's a major driver of your plan. Right. We've got to be able to hold that tension at the same time. And that's kind of, I think, why this job's so hard and so fun.
0: And we need that. I mean, nobody wants to think I have no plan. I, maybe I just need a plan for today and <laughs> then, we'll, then we'll think about tomorrow. But, um, you know, and for advisors who feel uh, too their their value is tied up in certainty. You know, the one thing I can say that reinforces what you're talking about is in the research that we do with investors we saw this really tight correlation between the most engaged clients and them describing their advisor as a leader. And Mm. then when we asked them to define leadership, guidance was the number one word that they used without you being prompted for any word, right? And so amazing they see that power right and, and they understand that power Hey, i know we've got to wrap up but um i i have to ask you about the fellowship and i know you won't describe it in detail i, I know <laughs> i know that now but part of it, the code. It, it doesn't mean <laughs> i'm not going to ask you to tell us a little bit about what it is or is not so, or could
1: be <laughs> yeah yeah no it's been really fun um it, you know a couple years ago i was like I was so frustrated by the experience of being, this is more like a decade ago, frustrated of being at parent teacher or at like parent night or career night. And I would be like the, the woman before me would be like a secret service agent. And the guy after me would be a firefighter. And then my son would introduce me as the financial planner. Mm-hmm. But I was like, look, I got to get something, a t-shirt, a sticker, a something. So we had like we the, the, the society and the fellowship have a dragon as its logo because we're like, can we just have fun again? And, and by the way, dragons, (laughs) dragons protect the valuable stuff. They can also kill you with fire. So it's like, it's really sort of a fun metaphor, but the fellowship was just (laughs) my attempt, my attempt to um, write a manifesto and um, it's 21 declarations, 21 declarations of a real financial planner. And I was writing it. And I was recording videos for my editing team and somebody on the team was like, Hey, these videos are way better than the written. Like the written's great, but why don't we build something that has the videos? So we, we took the 21 declarations and we wrote them and we worked really hard to make them as short as possible. So I, we work really hard around here to send people less. So I would much rather read a 20-page book that has everything I need than a 200-page book to get the 20 pages. So, so we, the fellowship is 21 declarations of a real financial advisor. It's a, it's a whatever, an online experience. It's an anti-course. It's not a course. It's, a, it's not about tactics. It's about principles. Because I, I, we built all these tactical, sorry, this is maybe more than I was supposed to tell you, but we built all these tactical workshops And at the end, we would find people not doing them. And I was like, look, I've discovered that the tactics are easy. It's the doing that's hard. And so the fellowship was built to help you do. And largely, I think of it as like a confidence forge. So the way, um, the only way to learn more, and I can't say much more about it because we found that um, the more I say, the less it helps. So you can go to the societyofadvice.com and there's this whole thing. I'm going to give your listeners a trick. Go to societyofadvice.com. It says waitlist. Like there's nothing on the page. You're like, what? This isn't how things are supposed to work. <laughs> societyofadvice.com. It just says waitlist. If you put your name, your email address in there, you'll get a confirmation email. And we only run like six sessions a year, but and nobody likes being on a waitlist. So for your listeners, they, when the confirmation email comes, it says, if someone sent you here, click here. If they click there, it'll ask who sent you. And you can just put my name in, and it will work. And, awesome. and what will happen is you'll get more information.
0: So it's the equivalent of a secret knock or a secret handshake, having yeah, your
1: back door. Yeah, yeah, secret. I would normally we just normally with people ask like if you'd sent me this email, and said tell me about the fellowship, I would have just replied with the JPEG file of the dragon. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's kind of like the
2: financial planning version of the Masons.
1: Yeah, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I, we like the like Templar. The, we like to think more like, more like the Fight Club or something. a bit more dramatic. That's
2: exactly yeah. The, the, there, there is no, there is no fellowship.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Oh dear. Well, Carl, thank you so much for your time. It's been an yeah, thank absolute you pleasure.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Let me just mention to both of you, like, thanks for the work you do because it. Thanks. I can tell the difference between, you know, we do a lot of these and and. um you don't need to do the research you did before this call, but it's clear that you did and and it's much more valuable for all of us. So thank you.
0: I appreciate it. Take care.
1: Yep.
2: Hey folks, Steve again. Thanks for joining us on Becoming Referrable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really helps. You can get all the links, show notes and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferrable.com. You can also get our free report referral myths that limit your growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. So until next time, so long.